Thank you for tuning in to another special edition upload of the Game Sports Show, powered by the Game Entertainment Media. This special edition upload is brought to you by Compass Imaging Group and Demansky Office Interiors, both located on 500 Industrial Park Crescent, Unit 1 in Sault Ste. Marie, the city right at the heart of the Great Lakes. Two great businesses, all in one location. Make sure to check out their social media pages as well by searching them on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get to Dave and the crew inside the Game Sports Show studio. Booyah, and it's time for the Game Sports Show special edition upload powered by the Game Entertainment and Media, GEM for short, along with the GameSportsShow.com. You're currently listening to the game through one of our many media platforms, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Facebook, Instagram, or through, of course, our website. Now, let's get to our special edition co-host. As I said numerous times, it's a man who's full of piss and vinegar. He's an underrated tough guy, if you will, and as we've been apparently told on the show, he's a pure legend, and for his trademark clap bombs that he's well known for from the top of the circle, and yes, he does that in NHL 20 as well, the video game. Wind up, click, click, broom, Brendan Brooks. Brooksy, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, buddy. Excited to be back here doing this again. Getting to our special edition guest who, obviously, let's get real. That's This is why you clicked the link on the show. As much as everyone loves hearing myself and Brooksy talking, no, let's jump right into the guest. Someone who is no stranger to dropping the mitts or anyone to the hockey world. No stranger in the sin bin, if you will. Played just over a handful of games with Dallas Stars. Put up wild numbers in the AHL with also being known for a special fight story with Colby Armstrong that I'm sure we will get into a bit later on. Gavin Morgan, Gavin, thanks for stopping by the show here tonight. No problem, guys. No problem. I appreciate you having me on. Definitely. Now, I, before we get into the, the whole show and the meat and potatoes, everything, I want you to tell the listeners about yourself. Like uh, for those who may not know you, uh, also, you may as well throw in your Instagram and Twitter accounts if you have any of those so the listeners can toss you a follow. Well, pretty much I'm born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, and I, I spent uh, my time playing minor hockey for the, uh, the almighty Toronto Marlboros um, from all the way from uh, minor Adam to, to midget, then played for the Wexford Raiders uh, through junior and went uh, to University of Denver and then embarked on a uh, a carry-on style pro career uh, that led me uh, to various, various stops and, and kind of has given me given me everything that, that I've got uh, as far as family is concerned and, and family, friends, education and, and all. So uh, I ended up uh, retiring in in 2010 and, and heading south to coach uh, in the NCAA in Division One hockey for the University of Alabama in Huntsville, a uh, position which I actually just resigned from. But it's it's been educational and it's been been joyous and and honestly it's it's been been great and all due to uh, the game. See, obviously you, you stayed a part of the game and you know even to go from playing to coaching it's obviously a different take right I, and obviously the type of player that you were you know a hard-nosed guy who was able to put the puck in that did that very well in the AHL and then you weren't afraid to drop the mitts to become a coach you see from a whole new perspective oh yeah you you surely do and, and it, it's really hard and I I like to, to tell people this story. I, I had a, my last year of professional hockey. I was playing for the Phoenix Coyotes farm team in San Antonio. And I had, the, uh, <clears throat> had a lot of great teammates, one of whom uh, was Kyle Turris, and now a, a, a superstar for the Nashville Predators, and Mike Bodker, who uh, was in San Jose and Phoenix. And, and I asked them kind of about how it was to play for Gretzky. 
And because I was just in awe, obviously Gretzky being who he is and and being the the not just the not just stats wise goals and assists, but the mind that he is. Um, and he said that Gretzky really he really expected you to know what he already knew. And you don't really think about yourself as a as a player of that level until you start to coach and you you have to translate what you're trying to. Um, think about and and you wouldn't think that it's on the same level of, of a Wayne Gretzky but but when you play professional hockey at, at a high level you you gain an education and and a mindset that is at a high level and you don't really realize that until you get into a coaching situation where you're trying to translate it to them definitely you know what it's funny obviously bringing up Gretzky and obviously Wayne Gretzky being the best hockey player of all time he also comes from a, a good family with Walter Gretzky there's somebody that I had the honor of having dinner with back when I was playing minor hockey in his Walter Gretzky tournament in Brantford Ontario and me going up to him shaking and being like hey can you come out for dinner at Wooski's I still can't I butcher that restaurant's name all the time and he when he actually came to meet myself and team for dinner the stories that he brought out about the playing days just overall just a great hockey family and just Wayne Gretzky obviously puts it in perspective who the uh, best player in the world is but it all comes from your upbringing that I'd like to say as well and Wayne came from a good upbringing with Walter and obviously he wasn't shy to shoot some pucks in the old barn and put some holes in the old barn if you will as Walter would uh, jump into but as you mentioned you know coaching and it's it's different from playing but when you're a player you know, you're, is it fair to say that you kind of you always wonder what a coach is saying or why they do certain things? And then when you become a player, you're like, now I understand why they did that. Now I understand why a player is this. Or is it completely different? Yeah, it, it the hardest part is when you be, go from being a player and you go directly into coaching and trying to to taper your passion. And because it's it's a completely different uh, a passion that you have to to persuade the players with. When when you're playing hockey and Brooksy, you can you can say this because you're a passionate hockey player as well. You're it's you're driving yourself and you're in charge of of you what you're doing and you're in charge of taking what you're being asked to do and turning it into productivity. And and that is uh, you know that's the hardest part. Of, of going from player to coach is that it's a different kind of passion because the execution of your passion isn't up to you. The execution of your passion is up to the person that you're trying to uh, encourage to use your passion to, pr- to ha- create their own personal productivity like that now brooksy i've been taking the floor for the first little bit not to anybody's freaking surprise because my mouth is literally (laughs) at all times but i know you want to bring up something that is obviously close and dear to gavin yeah like uh you know i had the you know it was so nice to be able to talk to gavin the other day and uh, we kind of talked off the air a little bit about you know what he's doing right now and it's you know it was a bit about life you know after hockey and you know what it's like for players and the life and what it is it's called me versus me for we winning the lifelong fight so gavin i just want you to talk a little bit about this i know you're so passionate about it and uh you know let our listeners know what this is all about well it's important uh that that we try to understand like like i said about coaching all of all of our learning comes from failure 
And as did this thought process with myself came from, from failure and not as a player, because as a player, I was too, too involved in me to really dissect what would help me. And as a, as an adult and as a coach who, who at the beginning of my coaching career found it hard to get the players to understand what sort of passion was needed to have success at that level, I started to, to, to have an analysis just of myself and I, and I, what I've, what I've come up with so far, so far and on an ongoing process, always growing, very fluid is that every competition, no matter what it is, is with yourself. Hmm. So when I, when I wake up in the morning, I got, I got a, I got a game to play and that game means I got to decide, am I getting out of bed or am I not getting out of bed? Right. I know, I know that there's challenges ahead, but that one battle right there is me versus me. Yep. So I, I decide, okay, I'm getting up. Here we go. And then I have to fight whatever whatever is coming from the opposite direction on it. And and as a human being, that is is huge in my opinion to our success. The the second me is the things that stand in the way. Right. We all have, and anyone who says that they don't is, is not being honest with themselves, but we all have those situations or those stresses or um, pressures that that stop us from doing what we want to do, whether it be fear of failure, whether it be fear of uneducation, fear of, of physical um, loss that, that stop us from doing things. And, and and that is the me that pushes against the, the me. And that happens an infinite amount of times in a lifetime and an infinite amount of times really each day. And when it's all said and done, the we is, you know, going through when you when you get a master's of, of business administration, MBA, you start to learn that profit is everything. Yep. But you learn it from the perspective that profit is, is to an organization. Well, profit to yourself can be anything but whenever you think about what you're profiting it always has to do with a we the we could be your family the we could be your team the we could be the organization you're working for the the, the possibilities of what we is is infinite as well um but it's rarely when i analyze things i'm rarely doing things for me i rarely toe drag the puck through the defenseman's legs and <laughs> go in and bury it cheese for me, right? Even if I'm the most selfish player on, on the team, the goal was for the goal was for the team. The goal was for the fans. The goal was for my line mates. The, regardless of how I react to it, it was definitely for we. And, and I think that it's something that, that is just continuous. And I've, the reason that I've, I've started going on this uh, kind of quest to, to figure out that is just human development. Trying to figure out how do you how do you continue to create productivity and profit in your own life? Um, so that's kind of where it where it stems from. Now what it what it moves towards is the the idea that you're always getting better, that you're always challenging yourself, and and a lot of times. I wanted to think about what that meant to the simple person. 
there's nothing that's happened that's tragic in my life. I was raised by an amazing blue collar family. My mother and my father actually just celebrated their 50, uh, 50th wedding anniversary. I went on a full scholarship to the University of Denver. I have two degrees that I didn't play for. I've I've never had a real job in my entire life. What 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 is persuading me? When I think about motivation, what's persuading me? I never um, there's nothing that's been tragic. And when you think about that, that's the motivation for the majority of people in not only the sporting world, but the real world. It, it almost seems like, too, that like if you can accomplish the battle of me versus me, you can then make that step to accomplish we at the same time. It is like you, as you touched on there, the whole point of it is that is that motivation to be able to do what you love to do, essentially. If you want to use the example of a hockey player, even if it's not hockey, if it's tennis, if it's golf, if it's school, if it's just every day, you just, even if someone's just empowering to be healthy for themselves, this can be used in anything, just not just hockey. No, it definitely can be used in anything. But hockey is always, sports are always the catalyst for, for thought when you're an athlete. Um, it, when, when things are your life, those are the things that, that create the, the drive to learn more, not just about yourself and stuff. And what I found is, especially coaching, you know, college, college age players where there's a lot of different pressures in life, they, they really struggle with the idea of pure competition. Yep. Uh, kids these days, they, they, they need to have the answer to the question prior to putting in any effort towards figuring out that equation and so it's it's really a, a situation that that how could help dissect what that pure competition is ignited by see and definitely like even the youth today and brooks you can compare to this are a lot different with the youth used to be now i'm in that middle age i'm just just under 30 years old where a lot of the college players are uh correct me for a lot of them are under 25 years old right so yeah. it, it it almost it almost feels like what well, I'll say this now, and I with myself playing hockey, I didn't go to the, the university road, nothing of such. For Brooks, you went to the professional level, so kind of two avenues there, and yourself, Gavin. But it seems like even back, everyone looks back and says how they would have done things different. And if it's almost like if you're able to accomplish and work hard and really not give up on those kind of dreams and what you want to pursue, that is that battle of me per se. And like, in, and if you look back, and I, I really dislike when people say, oh, I could have did this or I played with that player and now he's in the National Hockey League. Who cares? It just didn't work out for you. There's other things in life outside of sport even. But overall, just compared to the youth, going back to what I was saying with the youth compared to now and then, is it, it still comes around full circle where everyone looks back at a certain age and they could have wished they did more. And with that, is, is that kind of another example that you'd use for me versus me in that kind of reference? It, it is in a sense. I, I think it's 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 not as as strictly driven to looking back it's it's to prevent having to look back uh an example i know exactly why i only played 600 games or sorry six games versus 600 games in the national hockey league and part of the reason was i didn't understand my value as it was important to the organization what we want and what is valued are, are very can be very different things but the more that you're able to self-evaluate those situations look at yourself 
be proud of what you're doing and what that value is being held of you, you can create your own, you can create your own answers through your self competition. I, I, when I was, I remember sitting and I've, I've said this to, to people, young kids all the time. I, and they don't really comprehend it, but I sat in a meeting with an NHL uh, general manager and I was told I just scored uh, 15 goals. It was my third year of pro hockey. I, I had 259 minutes in penalties, uh, 40 points in, a, in, a, in the American Hockey League, and I was excited. I, I thought I was going to go in this meeting and there was going to be power play time on the table. And he looked across and he said, hey, Gavin, you had a, you had a great season, but Points are a bonus for a player like you. Hmm. And I was never able to comprehend that to its fullest until I started coaching. Yep. And be and and this is someone who was was yes, Brooksy, I comprehended it like ninety-five percent of the time. I did my job. I won the face off, I changed before the puck went in the offensive zone. I I scored most of my goals within three inches of the net. You know, like those things I was aware of, but that 5% of the time that I wasn't honest with my situation and what my value truly was didn't allow me to be productive for we. And that, and that's when you're thinking about it in a, in a, a really, really detailed manner, that's the, the me versus me that I needed personally in order to, to be more successful. No, he it's brought, so, he, it's he, so funny, yeah, because I can totally relate to that, Margie, because there's I've kind of gone back and, you know, I've asked myself, you know, why wasn't I? Because I could skate, I could fight, I could score. And I asked myself so many times, you know, why why didn't I get, make it full time? You know, why was I only on an NHL two-way before I went over to Europe and stuff? Why was that? And I can see exactly the reason because I can go back to the meetings I had with some of my coaches. I remember Steve Plo called me in his office and he's like, Brooksy, you're a hell of a hockey player. But he goes, there's a few areas you got to work on. And he goes, if you want to make the, the NHL, you got to just chip the puck. And like you said, goal scoring was a bonus because we were like the middlemen, eh, Morgie? We could yeah. score 20 goals, but we weren't going to score 40 or 50. And that's where that separation was for that where our role was in between there. The goals were bonus, but we had to play hard. We didn't want to be scored against. We had to do all, we had to do everything, play defense hard. We had to play tough in the corners. We had to go to the net. These are all the things we had to do. But at the moment we stepped away from that role is what changed us or probably prevented because we could score. We could play that role, but, that's not what the teams wanted because we weren't going to be the guy that scored 40 or 50. That was yeah. the difference I noticed for myself. And I, I totally agree with you, Brooksy. That, and that's a huge part of your, in my opinion, a huge part of the development as a player is to, to realize what is your value added to an organization, right? Not what is your value added personally, but what's your value added to that organization. And if you can harness that and find a way to create, you know, internal gratitude and celebration for that, then you then you win that me versus me battle. Because the battle wasn't like if you think about it, Brooksy, and you and you dissect it a little bit, the battle wasn't with Brendan Brooks and his 
understanding really of who Brandon Brooks was, it was with that me versus me battle that prevented the opportunity with the we, the we that you had intentioned, right? Which, which was the NHL team. And, and, and when you don't grab a hold of that battle, you, and you lose it, that's where you, you find failure. And if you let that failure like compile on top of each other and just add up, you, you really push yourself down. Whereas if you're able to win that battle against yourself, if I was able to win that battle against myself and truly understand, I, I would have been a better player and, and, and a more valued player and had possibly had another opportunity. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens um, for different reasons, especially in the National Hockey League and, and within, within the systems. But developing as a player is, is as much a human development situation as it is a, a skill development situation because the difference is very minute in skill. You know what the big the big thing is too, like even outside of playing and what I'm finding a lot of nowadays is with players that have played and like yourself, you've uh, connected with something that is clear, clear and uh, close to you, obviously with me versus me for we. And then you have a lot of players that are speaking out to a lot of different areas that aren't connected to this, obviously. But it seems like in today's a game that a reference from the players who played in uh, the, let's say the early tens, early thousands, even the late nineties. Uh, it seems like the understanding for the game is so high because of the, ele- the, the evolution of the game that took place from 1995 to 2005 was a pretty big jump, let alone from 05 to 2010. It was even bigger of a jump. Now, if you look at what the game was in 10 to now, and we're talking hockey, even any kind of sport, but mostly hockey here, obviously is that the game has changed overall. So is it fair to say that the best educated players have come from that timeline because of the evolution of the game and just from a mental aspect, from a physical aspect, and just overall from, I want to even say, a draining aspect because of even some players that uh, were seen as, uh, as specific players weren't that type of role or they were that type of role, they weren't given an opportunity or they fought a, a little too much or uh, some some players that are currently aren't with us. Obviously, there's made some big impact on the games. Uh, which on the mental side is obviously very unfortunate, but this seems overall in the game, the evolution was just absolutely massive. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I would say that's fair to say. I think that the changes during, during um, my career, uh, you go from such things as taking the red line out to, yep. to um, wearing visors to really not being able to, to hit in, in some scenarios. like if, And let me describe that in a practical way. When we were coming out at the beginning of my career, if, if a player came across the middle of the ice and I didn't hit that player or I didn't prevent him from, from moving forward, I, I didn't have a job. Yep. To the point where now the game's gone so far and so, so fast that – you, ha- you have to find a completely different avenue to stop that player because the idea of stopping the player is the exact same. If you don't stop him, you won't have a job, but you're not allowed to hit him. Right? So that's, that's, a, that's as, 
as big a change as, as I've seen as as any in the game, and and it's very true. Like you you make reference um, to you made reference to to players who are no longer with us. I feel feel that with those players, their ability to continually have the battle with themselves um, and continue to find a way to win that battle, if that's fair to say. Yeah, 100% is. And obviously, this is something that is big in the game for what you're doing and just overall, uh, just in life, it's, t- they're, they're, it's just overall that as a player, people face different uh, kind of things. That I want to say things that's very simple to say. It's not a very extravagant term by any means. But every player faces something or every athlete faces something. Every player, as I mentioned, faces something, but even outside of their sport. And overall, the, you're me versus me for a week. I, I definitely take it in all areas of an, as- of an aspect outside of sport. And in particular, as an athlete, it makes uh, complete sense. But you can utilize it at any kind kind of place in life and for anybody that kind of wants to get extra in touch with this or in contact with you about it is there any kind of uh, link that they can reach out to to you or contact information for that yeah you could just my emails uh gmorgie at gmail.com and i'm willing to talk to anyone about this i want to to help people realize i mean a lot of stuff you 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 do where it that involves self-development has to do with the things that you've gone through in your life and the things that you, you, like you said, would, would like to push back on or, or redo. And, but it also pushes forwards on the people you have. I have kids now. I have a son who's heavily involved with the game and two daughters who are athletes as well, that you want to give them the most power that they can have. And if they can learn from some of, your it's not mistakes it's it's learning opportunities right it's a, i i don't feel like i made a ton of mistakes i just felt like there were situations where i didn't study hard enough and when i didn't study hard enough it wasn't studying the game i know the game inside out it was studying myself so that i could be as productive or create as much profit for myself or the organization as possible. And I think that, that that a lot of young athletes these days, they are so, so results-driven. Playing in the National Hockey League was my dream. It was never my goal. Young players today feel playing in the National Hockey League is their destination. And I know that because I coach young, driven hockey players, and I also am a father to a young, driven hockey player, who, who really, really feels the pressure of, of playing in the National Hockey League at, at 13 years old, which is incredible. When I was 13 years old, I, was, I didn't know what I was doing, but it, it wasn't setting a goal of playing in the National Hockey League. Um, so those challenges are, are immense, just not only for, for, for sports, but for life. And that's, that's the huge basis for me versus me, everything. Everything you do is a, is a is a challenge, and that's what I mean by the the, the lifelong fight. That is literally perfection to a T. Brooksy, any final thoughts with that? No, I just uh, you know I can relate to it a lot, and uh, you know it's it's very important, and uh, I appreciate you sharing this story uh, with us, and uh, you know, and reaching out to help guys who actually need it. So uh, thanks for that, eh, Morgie? Hey, it's it's never a problem. I want to you know helping people develop and and 
continue to, to continue to go on the lifelong battle myself is is hugely important because I don't know I don't know if if everyone really considers but your life is is far greater than the sport you play and your life and everything you do is is far greater than yourself so trying to develop yourself to be the best for we it is 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 everything definitely I cannot agree more that is fantastic stuff for sure now Gavin we're going to jump into talk about speaking of when you were playing your playing days if you will and obviously you mentioned it right at the top you played at the University of Denver which must have been a mint experience especially when you played uh but then making the jump over to professional level in the IHL AHL prior to playing in Dallas just over a handful of games in the NHL with some time overseas as well and I think it's fair to say that your PIMS increased a good amount with jumping over to the professional level uh from the NCAA and for someone that I'm sure uh which I believe your exact type plan was 511 uh which in the fighting world seems short but you made sure that didn't matter <laughs> well your brooksy can attest to to this because he was the exact same way we we wasn't so often you start fights but you're hoping to finish them and <laughs> and uh so so for me for me fighting is that like i i grew up my dad is a, a very very straightforward and very physical guy. He taught us, uh, my brother and I, when we were young, how to how to handle ourselves. Uh, a lot of I was actually having this conversation the other day uh, with a friend. A lot of the ability for me to fight was the ability to control a jersey, which came from judo, and the ability to control a gi, and and that was all taught to me by my father. And so those things were good. You got to remember in a hockey fight, the guy who lands on top is the one that wins. It doesn't matter who's bleeding or what. So, so that's kind of where my fearlessness came from. And, and I was just, I just loved to compete. I didn't, I didn't worry about losing. I did I wasn't too concerned with that. I didn't worry. And I often, I often didn't worry about looking like a fool. That happened quite a bit. And you had some good tillies, especially. Now, your fight card is damn impressive. And we're going to jump into one in particular very shortly. But I'm going to leave that for Brooksy to bring up uh, in just a few moments. But obviously, was that fuel inside of your veins the whole time you played or did you become more into that is a fair say rule of a two-way forward a grinder of sorts a hard-nosed grinder who could put the puck in the net whatever to kind of uh, term you want to use was that always kind of the role or did you were you one of those players that really had to change from NCAA because obviously your pims and in the college hockey which obviously wouldn't be that high because it's NCAA hockey compared to professional but it seems like you had to change your role a little bit as you continue to ascend in your hockey career? Well, I think the, the hardest part in, in when you look at college hockey, and even junior in, in my time, uh, you know, like I wore a face mask all the way until I played professional hockey. Um, so, you, I mean, a fight, by the time you got through to actually punch somebody without breaking your hand, you were, you were in one. But for me, it was just I, I didn't have a – I never and still don't have a, a no button. Um, I, I, my wife says to me all the time, you have absolutely no flight response. You only have fight. And they, and it's true. And, and it's, that was a benefit in, in many ways. Um, but it was just part of how I played. I just played hard and I played to do what was needed. And, and 
my nickname was Bulldog growing up because I, I never really stopped. I just kept going, and, and it, it just kind of translated. It, it kind of fed. I feel like I was a much better professional hockey player than I was a college hockey player because that tenacity was more welcome in the pro game than it ever was in college. It definitely was, and it's still kind of the same today. Is that like I you don't see as much uh, mitts getting dropped and compared well in any kind of any kind of way now. It seems like fighting is getting really pushed out of the game compared to what it was. But even back then, it's definitely was not the same. But overall, you must have had some fights where you could look back on, and I and try to refrain from the Colby Armstrong fight for now. Yeah, yeah. Even that for Brooksy, but uh, like if there must have been some fights. Like you, you fought Vandenbush in Chicago. There's some guys that you fought. You must have been like, "Hey, I want this guy," or that you can just look back on and be like, "You know what? I gave that guy a piece of uh, good old piece of skin to the old jibs." Well, there was there's plenty of fights that that you win, but there's plenty of fights that you think to yourself, "I did really well in that one," and you you don't uh, realize that you didn't do so well. And that was my biggest issue with not having a no button in one. <laughs> One of the best examples of, of that was uh, uh, Martin Granier, uh, who's like, his stat. He's got to be like 6'6", 250 <laughs> pounds. And we're coming up the ice. This is in the the American League as well. I believe he was in Springfield and I was in Utah. And he, he was hooking me as a cover the ice. So I turned around and I just two-handed him. And I looked up and said, okay, here we go. <laughs> that's that's the not having the no yeah <laughs> not yeah exactly no. not having the no and just start chucking them and and i go to the penalty box and i can't see out of my left eye and i'm like man i did great <laughs> literally i can't see out of my left eye and and i so i remember years later like so he asked me so how what happened in that fight well i you know i lost my grip and i tried to this and and then I saw it on video like a decade later, and I just I just didn't belong in there. Like what was I doing in there? And he just yeah. pounded on me. So I it, it it's one of those things for me. Fighting in hockey, there's a purpose to it. Uh, there there's multiple reasons why it happens. It definitely polices the game, which Brooksy, you got to be an expert on have, having the career you had in in Europe for sure. Because when I went and played in Europe, I was as frustrated as you could shake a stick because everyone just thinks they can do whatever they want. And when when you don't have that police of the game, the, the our game becomes dangerous. Yep. It, it really, really becomes dangerous. And that doesn't mean guys have to be getting one-punched and, and uh, just being tapped on the shoulder. I'll never believe in, in having a player that sits in front of me tapping him on the shoulder and saying, okay, you're going there, where he's spending his whole day and night thinking to himself, okay, I'm fighting so-and-so and, oh, I, I, can't, I couldn't even imagine that. But no, pro- I'm so grateful I didn't have to do that either. Yeah, like it's it's that's and I never did either. I just was I was a willing participant. Uh, I will never say that I I was never once forced to drop no. the glove. Never one well, time. We were we were definitely situational fighters. Like it it had something had to happen during the game for us to get to that level to fight. Something was going on. Like you said, you got slashed, you slashed back. You know, it's yeah. something that's happened that makes you want to fight. Like, I remember I was told one time to go out and fight, and I was like, no. You know what I mean? And that's not something I like to do because I was just – it. I needed to have that that motivation and reason to do it. 
You know, I just couldn't be like, okay, I'm just going to go fight. That just wasn't in me. But when it arised and that was the op option to have, I was always ready. And whoever I was fighting, no matter how big or small, they're going to know that they were going to fight me. And they were going to know that, you know, I was showing up. Yeah, they, they were going to know that you're coming left. Good night, Jim Kite. <laughs> Good night, Jim Kite. <laughs> that's, that's Carson Germain. See, honest, and honestly, being in that position where you're fighting, isn't it kind of exhilarating where you look at guys like Granny? Sure, that wasn't a, a fight that you look back on and say, oh, I, I won that one. But is it like, like go on the other side of it where if you knock him down, the momentum that you get on your team is is just it's just swinging. Now, you're, you're obviously yourself, Gavin. You're not six foot six. Uh, we've already established that you're a 5'11 guy, but it's you obviously played like you were bigger, which is obviously great and that's what's missed in this game a lot that is today is that in my opinion like i know there's players out there currently like you can look at a ryan reeves you can look at these guys but basically ryan reeves in today's nhl is the guy he is the the sheriff of the national hockey league potentially i'd like to say dustin bufflin would be if he was actually playing because the guy's an absolute truck but at, at the end of the day it's it's not the same as what it was and players like yourself or even like brooksy uh like those players that are able just to drop the mitts the chris drapers even the shane corsons who i yeah. know is one that you played with yeah. is what the game is missing right now i feel a lot and that, that's one part of the game where i really miss well, I, I think that, that that if you look at the the history of our game, the idea of of combustible uh, combustible altercation versus not staged because none of it's staged, but more tap altercation, there was more there was more effect on the game. Like I watch if if I'm having a tough tough time getting getting the battle going with me versus me. And I'm really struggling. I just put a little Wendell Clark trillid, you know, tribute on YouTube, and the day's ready. Oh yeah. <laughs> and when you watch, and when you watch those guys, and the passion that they put into, it's it, the same passion he put into his wrist shot, he put into fighting. And yeah. those players, and it, it's always been amazing to me when you when you look at what what tough tough in hockey is some players had to reinvent themselves to find stability in hockey. Some of the the real the real heavyweights didn't weren't heavyweights to start and they want they just happened to fit into that set of uh, hockey pants. And and the way they they went, but the toughest of the the tough like when you watch them and the way that they fought and the the passion that they put into fighting like you said the Corsons Shanahan Draper um Wendell Clark Probert oh that's a legend Probert like, that's a legend but but think about it. that's an NHL all-star yep you know what I mean like they, there's there was so much more passion put into it and I think kids could benefit from that passion now the tough part is the realism of injury Right. Yeah. And I've been you can watch it on YouTube. There's a few times where I've been an absolute deer in headlights. And and my knees are coming out from under me and I and I'm having a hard time get to the penalty box. Um, so there is real those things are real, like what everyone's talking about with head injuries and with um, CTE and 
all these things that have become such a prominent part of youth athletics and, and professional athletics, they're real. And I, I, and I don't know about you, Brooksy, but I suffer from it myself. Now, would I do what I did again, deer in headlights and all? You're damn right I would. Yeah. You're damn right I would because I loved it. That was, that was what my passion was. Right. So to to ignore it, but to tell tell me how many times I got in the amount that I fought where I actually was concussed, even made dizzy is is a handful of times. The amount of times that I ran into the went to hit somebody I missed and ran in the glass and knocked myself conky. Well, there's more of that than there was with fighting. So I don't know if you're going, if you can just put it all on on fighting, you know. So I enjoyed it. I, I actually really enjoyed it. A few loops here and there didn't bug me, and and I, you know, made you feel good after. See, and I know uh, Brooksy. Like speaking of you guys, you guys had time together playing with uh, Piara, the Rivermen, I believe was the correct team you guys played with. And you know, there's players that you play with, Gavin, like Trevor Daly, who's well known in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, you also got Marty Turco, who's from uh, Sault Ste. Marie. You also yeah. play with guys like Thomas Placanich, David Backus. You had Bill Guerin, who is obviously doing well right now as well. Uh, Jason Arnott, and obviously Mike Medano. And I got a question I'm gonna ask you about Mike Medano in a little bit. But overall, there's a guy that you guys played with and Brooksy uh, I'm not sure if you want to bring up this story but I think there's a guy that you two play with called Lee Stepniak oh yeah Lee uh, <laughs> good old Lee and yeah, uh, no, you know yeah well it's it's uh, the thing with Lee was he was a heck of a hockey player he really was and he was young and uh, you know in the AHL and I know Morgan will attest to you there's a lot of competition that's going on uh, in between the players on getting called up. And even though you're a team, there is that I want to get called up. And sometimes another guy gets called up and you can't figure out why. Like, what are you doing wrong that is preventing that? Because sometimes you don't get your questions answered. You're just sitting there being like, well, why not me? And uh, and I remember when I was playing with Lee because I was in, um, in Worcester and in Peoria there and uh, – in the St. Louis blues organization, I was having a great year. And then uh, I thought this is my year. You know what I mean? I had 20 goals. I thought I was going to get called up uh, and it didn't happen. And they took Lee Stepniak, who's a heck of a hockey player. And he never came back. And I always say, well, that could have been me too. You know, it's just, but those are the things in hockey that happen, you know, and the competitiveness, you know, within the team, and with yourself of trying to find how am I going to get there? And uh, it's pretty much what we all talked about today. And uh, and I'm sure Gavin can attest to that. Oh, yeah, 100%, Brooksy. And, and again, I'll go back to, to where where I go with it, the me versus me. Like if, if Stemper, if you were to have given up when Stemper got called up, what what would you – what would you what would you have done like what, where you wouldn't have had an amazing career and experience you you wouldn't have played for the British national team you would you know what I mean if you if you quit on yourself at that point just because things weren't going right none of that stuff would have happened and we're the sum of our experiences like that that's it we're, we're, we're only have the things that we we work out for ourselves and are, are provided through our own competition with ourselves. And, and that's so true. And, and God bless Stemper. Stemper was a guy who could leave his shoes at the door. He went out there and he scored goals. 
That's yeah, what we did. Look back. Stemper was a, conversations were at a minimum with Lee Stemniak. Yes, he was quiet man. <laughs> quiet guy, didn't do anything. Yeah. And then, then you go to uh, oh man, his name is spacing me, but uh, hit the ref there in Cowtown. Oh, anyhow, it's a fantastic story. But anyways, he was the the story is isn't about who it was about, but. So we're sitting in, in Peoria. I had just gotten to Peoria, and Coach Plosey comes into the locker room. We, we just had a tough game, and he, he starts giving it to the, the kid. If you think that you're ever going to get an opportunity to do this, this, and this in the National Hockey League, you're going to have to be way back. And he just tears a strip off. Of him. And we're sitting there going, holy rip. He, 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 <laughs> Plosey walks back to the, his office. The conversation happens between the GM and the head coach in the American Hockey League, which happens after every every game. He walks back in the locker room and says, you're going up. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, right after it's right. And the kid the kid never came back. He never yeah, came no. back. And, and he, he was a, he was a very, very good player. He was good. It was going to have he was just young and was trying to find his way. And uh and and he just he never came back after that. And it kind of speaks to what Brooksley was saying: the the opportunities, the windows they open and they close. But if you stop shaking them, you're you're gonna find yourself really disappointed. And that's when I find the excuses come out. Well, I could have been this. Well, I yeah. could have. Well, I could have had this. Had this. And I don't I don't ever use those those excuses. I had a, a fantastic career. Uh, I know some of the changes that I would make if I got another. Uh, rip around the rink but i hockey's blessed me with with everything i got so i respect the game and and that's that see and even if players like speaking of respecting the game like the players a list that you played with you played with some guys in particular with dallas was handful of games or so that were peer leaders like these are guys that you want to go out for and just work hard for like the bill garens the jason arnott's the mike medano which as i mentioned we're going to bring up shortly here but the, i'm sure you learned a lot from these guys despite if you if you would have you played the six games that you did or if you would have played 600 games like being able to play with those types of players for how many games it may be and there's other players that were on that team too like you got Zuboff, which is uh, a, a legendary name as well. You got uh, guys like Pierre Turgeon, I believe, was there that year that you were there. Uh, Steve Ott, who was a, another leader, and obviously Trevor Daly being there, as I mentioned. You just being underneath those or being with those guys, sorry, uh, you, playing with them helps you come around as a player and a person. I'm sure that they were guys that you were able to approach and really pick their minds with. Well, there's 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 things that you that you learn, and and I started my professional coming out of college. Uh, I was like like you said about Brooksy earlier, full of piss and vinegar, ready to go. I was playing in the AHL, the IHL, or the NHL, or or that's it, because that's how good I was. Um, and when it didn't happen, there was a bit of self evaluation. I started my career in Boise, Idaho, playing for Clint Larchuk in in. Uh, the West Coast Hockey League, and what a fantastic place to get the opportunity to start your career. It's now in the East Coast Hockey League, but the Idaho Steelheads was a first-class organization, so everything kind of worked out in that sense. But what I noticed as I started to go through was, well, why isn't this talented player playing somewhere else? Why aren't they playing in a different place? And I got called up to the International Hockey League with LA's farm team in, in Long Beach, and there was a player named Mike Matucci. 
defenseman who who really wasn't a flashy guy. Um, he, he kind of every time he had the puck, he made a pass, and if someone tried to get near the front of the net, he was going to uh, he was going to put you, a lot of hurt on you. And and I recognized that and said he well he's not all the flash that that everybody else is, but he's making it and there's something to be done about that. So I took a little bit of that and pushed. And as I moved up everywhere I went, I tried to, to, to steal a little bit of, okay, what is this person doing? That's having success. They really probably shouldn't be having success. Right. And so you get, you get into the national hockey league and everybody's so good. And I had the, I had a fortunate opportunity to spend a lot of time in Dallas, even though I, I didn't play, I got called up to the, the, the Stanley cup playoffs, got to see that environment, which uh, is, unique in it in itself and see how how just absolutely driven these players are to succeed um getting on the ice uh, nobody nobody in my time in dallas really hoofed around the indy 500 where you're skating around before practice shoot at one end shoot at the other modano uh, mullen and zubov would pass the puck non-stop 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 and it was something that i looked at and said this is like this is the the most skilled player in the world who's out here and all he does is pass a puck during this time and I'm looking for someone to pass the puck with myself so that you can can try to 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 get what he was doing and it, it's it's kind of amazing like when you get up to that level and you realize the competition that is there like Brooksy said the physical competition the mental competition and the interpersonal competition, it's 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 high stress. And and that's if you don't take things and apply them to your toolbox, then your next project's gonna be gonna be tough. It is now, Brooksy, like in you've played with guys that are at that stature too, and uh, overall it's just it's 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 just great to also look back on and see what you're able to develop with as a player. Oh, yes, of course. You know, it's uh, the stuff I remember when uh, I was in camp with uh, St. Louis and Dougie Waite. There's a guy who is a heck of a hockey player and a heck of a guy. And uh, I remember, you know, I was able to just, you know, take sit at the end of practice and I was in the corner with him. You know, uh, we were just working on a few things and just watching him and then, you know, being able to talk to him on the ice, in the dressing room, how just that little time, how it can change a young kid's mentality. It's pretty amazing how quickly, you know, I kind of took on his mentality of, you know, I'm going to work even harder in practice if I do get sent down, you know what I mean? So I don't get sent down again, you know? it's it, There's so many things that, you know, these amazing players that are leaders for a reason, you know, Dougie Wade, like he's, you know a national team player for the U S you know, I think, you know, I would put him up there, you know, with Mike Medano as one of the best American born players, you know, and, uh, and he was just such a great guy. You know, I've also played with guys that are, you know, not that good of those guys, you know, but those are the guys that bring those guys on board when they're up there or with them or on their line, you change your mentality changes when you're in their environment. And uh, that's just being a part of them. And, and that's what's big is overall, uh, it just get better and play better. I think 
you know, it was Scott Barney, you know, who, who said it on the show good too, is, you know, you play with those guys too. The mentality is to give them the puck, give them the puck. But you never know. Maybe you're good. You're good to carry the puck. They can give you the puck and put the puck in the net. It's just a good feeling all around. And overall, just play, being able for yourself, Gavin, to have the experiences in Dallas are are just great. That team had such a strong team. I'm not saying that they don't now, uh, but the players that have come through that system is certainly impressive. And obviously, Mike Badano is a big part of that. So I told you off air that I was going to ask you a question in terms of Mike Medano, uh, and obviously. It's it's going to be an answer. It's going to be a little bit more towards your coaching perspective. And the big story about Mike Medano is uh, it's kind of unfortunate where when you talk about Mike Medano, he has to talk about how great of a player he is, the points they did, the impact they had on the game. But it's also in everybody's mind, the story, how he didn't get to that 1500 game mark. Okay. And the big part of it was where everyone's pointing fingers and it seems uh, maybe, maybe fair, unfair, whatever it may be. We don't have to comment on what we feel is the right side. But Mike Babcock was the coach of the Red Wings at the time when uh, Mike Medano was on that team. And Mike Babcock kind of, let's say, refrained him from being able to play that 1500 game. Now, just overall, your opinion about it. Obviously, you knowing Mike Medano, uh, like any kind of reaction from him. And just from a coaching perspective, with you being a coach, did you agree with Mike uh, doing that? Um, I, I think that it's the interesting situation. And the one thing that I know about, about Mo and my experience with Mike Madonna is he was the ultimate professional and still is the ultimate professional. Um, the, how he handled pressure and the way that he, he continued to rise above the, the many, many, uh, walls that, that stood in, in front of him as, as a player and as a person, it, I speak volumes. Uh, I really, really respect his. Now, from a from a coaching and hockey perspective, we don't know what went on behind the scenes. We don't know what the decision was. We don't know what the situation was that involved um, the Detroit Red Wings at that time and what that game uh, implicated as far as moving forward. And and I would hope that for any reason that both sides had their their ability to to express how they felt. And when it's all said and done, um, the decision was made for whatever reason it was. I'm not going to say that, that uh, Mike Babcock was, was wrong in it though. It appeared that that way that appears to everybody, everyone that way that he deserved to, to have that game played. Um, So I think that it's, it's, it's one of those situations that you can't form an opinion on because you don't have enough information to do so, whether you're a coach or a player. Couldn't agree more. Now, you know what? One thing that I always used to say before kind of diving into it from a perspective before jumping into the profession of media was that if I was Mike Medano, I just would have made put my gear on and just sat and said, I'm playing. But obviously, Mike Medano is not that type of individual. Uh, and obviously, the character, it's it comes overall for the best overall performance of the team and obviously like you said there's both sides to a story maybe if uh, we can guess a thousand different things uh, but obviously the story reaction in particular with Mike Commodore who was quite vocal about it obviously on many different radio platforms uh, has brought up a lot of negative towards Babcock and rightfully so for a lot of fans would have liked to see Medano get that milestone as I'm sure Mike would have enjoyed that milestone but overall you hit the nail on the head there where you, there's two sides to a story there's always even sometimes three parts 
parts to a story. There's uh, their part, their part, and then the right part, right? So overall, at the end of the day, uh, that is a topic that will remain to be hot, in my opinion. Now, Brooksy, um, it's Dave McCaig with Gavin Morgan and Brendan Brooks, Gavin Morgan being our special guest. There's one topic that we wanted to ensure that we brought before we let you go. And I'm going to let Brooksy have the floor with it because – He's obviously the individual who brought you on the show, of course, but sent me the clip of this. And I don't remember uh, hearing this clip through Spit and Chicklets. Obviously, I'm a fan of Spit and Chicklets, as are many uh, any podcasters or even hockey fans, anything in general. Uh, Brooks, I'm giving you the floor with the Colby Armstrong story. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, I had the I got to listen to it because, you know, Gavin and I were talking off the air and... Uh, the way he tells the story about uh, how he was getting all these phone calls, uh, you know, at a time because his name had been brought up and he, and he wasn't sure why when he was driving. And, uh, you know, I want you to fill us in on this story uh, of Colby Armstrong getting introduced to Gavin Morgan. Okay. Well, well, I'll tell you what, it's interesting because I, I, I honestly believe, and I want to, I want to hope that my story created the buzz on spinning chicklets that make it the juggernaut that it is. So <laughs> I hope that Witter, Witter, Biz Nasty, and, and the guys at Spitting Chicklets are, uh, there should be a presence showing up to my doorstep uh, shortly for my contribution to their prowess. Yeah. Uh, sure. But so I was driving, I was actually recruiting and I was driving in, in uh, Massachusetts in the small roads was going to a prep school game and, and my phone started to buzz off of the hook. And, and it was a couple of my old players that I had coached and, and they're like, you got to check this out. It's on episode 13. It's at the 24 minute mark. And I'm, I have, I have no clue what they're talking about at this point. So uh, I pull over, I pull the car over because my phone just won't start buzzing. And then I listen to uh, the excerpt on on spinning chicklets, and and it's about a, a time. And as soon as I start to listen to it, I can I'm living it. Like I can see it, everything that happened exactly because it's a vivid memory of mine. So I had just uh, we were playing in in Salt Lake City in the American Hockey League, and and we were on the game, and I was wearing a visor at a time when you didn't have to wear a visor, and I was wearing it because I had gotten uh, a few shots to the face, and my nose was all banged up, and one of my eyes was banged up, and uh, so I was wearing this visor at the at the direction of, of our trainer, and so we're playing, and, and Kobe's playing an aggressive game just like uh, Army always did. He's, he's, like you said, full of piss and vinegar and out there. He's young. He's He's just come out of junior, really, uh, really a solid, solid player in junior and, and a solid player as a pro. Um, so he, so we're we have quite a few altercations going to the net and and stuff, and and finally one pops off and turns into to a bit of a, a skirmish and a little bit of a a boxing match. We end up going to the penalty box and we're chirping back and forth in the penalty box and and. He says something to me that it just absolutely ignites me. So I pick up a, a full Gatorade water bottle and I go to throw the bottle at Army and I hit the girl who's doing the clock right square in the face with the water bottle. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Sorry. So, now you, so now you have to remember that this is on my home ice. So I have to see this poor girl, like say I got to go into the office and, and I don't know, get something paperwork or something i have to see her after i just smoked her in the face with a full gatorade bottle um 
and so now I'm now I'm irate. Like now it's it's all said and done. So as I skate across the ice, we're chirping back and forth. I get about just past the face-off circle and I throw my helmet to the trainer and I tell him, take that expletive expletive visor off of that helmet. <laughs> and we're sitting there and, and as the story goes, uh Colby's saying he's gonna he's He's gonna just he's gonna get in his first fight and he's gonna kick the shit out of this little bastard who's on the other side and away we go and he looks down the bench and there I am sitting backwards, like facing the coaches, you know, waiting for my helmet, and I'm taping my wrists. And as I'm taping my wrists, I'm saying, I'm gonna murder you. Like you <laughs> it is over. So we jump on the ice. I don't even you couldn't tell you where the puck is, I didn't really care. And and away we went, and and we had a we had our altercation that ended in in about three three punches, <laughs> and and Colby Colby was he was uh, surprised to say the least that this little guy had it in him, and uh, but the funniest part of the story and one part of it that I wasn't privy to was I guess as Colby went into the locker room for Wilkesbury. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins farm system. He, he went in there sitting down, and usually when you you go in, everyone comes in and they're like, "Hey, good job." No matter how you did, your teammates were there for you, right? Hey, way to work. Oh, get... Well, I guess <laughs> I guess Alexander Dag came into the room, former first overall draft pick by the Ottawa Senators, came into the room and he goes in his French ass, he goes, "Holy shit, Army! Check the game notes, bud." <laughs> obviously in, in the game notes he would have realized that i was i had a little bit of that in my bag and then it went away but it, it kind of popped off went viral and and the fan 590 got a hold of it and they called me in and me and army were on fan 590 with uh you know biz and witter and and that kind of just telling the story but the accuracy of the story as they told it was, was amazing and i definitely give those guys credit that spit and checklist they really they really bring out the hockey in in the media side like they're 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 actually talking hockey which is good and you get the same thing that you're doing here is you know talk actually talking hockey um versus trying to fabricate things and that's that's enjoyable and i enjoyed it and got to to, to go through that and, and it was a fun fun relivable story and, and really really enjoyed it so Oh, that that is absolutely hilarious. And you know what? I'm gonna flat out say that that I'm sorry. That's the first time within the last 24 hours that I've heard that story. I'm actually happy I didn't hear it till now to an extent because I was able to realistically laugh on radio without doing. Not that I would do a fake laugh ever because I would I'm not good at that. But like being able to be in that moment, hearing that story from you, and it's even better than what Army said. No offense. It was good. Army put a actually said it the exact same way you did which you know what realistically maybe a lot of players wouldn't would leave stuff out or wouldn't say specific things but it seems like colby armstrong is a pretty straightforward guy and a pretty honest guy that this guy kicked my ass (laughs) yeah he's a great army's army's a fantastic guy and obviously had a, a great career and does a lot of amazing things for for a lot of people in youth hockey and and being the player that he was, and, and you know, it, it was an honor to be be part of that story. But if you get the opportunity to listen to Ryan Whitney tell it, it's like on the spitting chicklets, it's absolutely priceless. Like his accent and the whole the whole nine yards, it's just I can't do it justice for how he tells the story. It's it's really good. 
it's fantastic. I couldn't. That's episode 13, around the 24-minute mark, as Gavin said. He can check that out. Now, Gavin, we're going to get to our conclusion here. And before we do that, we like asking one special question, one special uh, kind of random out-of-the-blue question that might catch you off guard. I promise it's not going to make you want to hang up or anything like that. Uh, but uh, if Brooks, you'd like to ask a question, I usually give him the second piece. I'll uh, ask the first one. The first question that I, I wanted to ask you out of these two questions that we like to ask uh, out of the blue is, if you were to play again, to rewind or to now, whatever it is, if you had to fight one guy one more time, who would it be? Is it is it fair to say that would be Colby Armstrong? <laughs> no, no, no. We, we we're gonna go up it. We're gonna go to my weight class for this one at least, eh? Yeah, I think you and I should have went. Yeah, <laughs> I was on the no first way. line. I was on the first line. You were on the fourth. What were we gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know what? I being honest. Uh, you know, coming up, you always want to challenge yourself, but there's no one. I'd, I I I. Being honest, I honestly wanted the opportunity to fight a guy like Ty Domi or or someone of of that stature, you know. But fighting Ryan Vandenbush was just as as good for me. Like I, it was it was an honor to, to stand there with that guy and and know you're fighting. Like if you ever watched any of Andy's fights with, with like his real crazy ones. They're good, but every any anyone who's in there who stands in there and is a warrior, um, and is willing to put themselves on that line, it's an honorable it's an honorable fight for me. I don't care if you're if you're can't take a punch, you've never thrown a punch or anything, but you you hit the yes button and not the no button. I, I respect any player who's willing willing to do that. To, to say do it over again. I don't know. You just maybe want to challenge yourself, see how good your skills were or something, but fighting's a, fighting's a hard job and, and I respect anyone, anyone who, who puts it in the, into their toolbox. Definitely. I'm, I'm almost surprised you didn't say Matt Grenier even, but we'll leave that. We'll leave no, that. Man, that's, hey, shit, that's when I should have said no. For sure. <laughs> Rooksy, uh, yeah. you're up. One last question. Yeah. Yeah. The question I got for you, um, has there been a coach or someone who has really kind of been there for you that you remember that really helped you, you think, change your game or outlook on the way you were playing uh, that's really had a huge impact? You know, I've had a couple coaches that I had Bruce Brudro and I had a guy named Paul Gillis that were really instrumental in making me a really good professional hockey player. Well, I, I think I think it. To answer that question, there's there's so many coaches um, that have had an influence on me, and I think it's 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 the small influence that they have on you that you might not realize. Uh, and, and I'll go through it because it, it it's something close to my heart. I was never a scout. I know it says five eleven there, but I'm exactly five foot ten. Uh, it says 191 when the NHL did that weighing me and Paul Comrie had pucks in our pockets and we drank like seven gallons of water. I probably weighed 170 pounds. Um, but you know, you, I, I liken myself to being a coach's dream versus a a scout's dream. Um, and guys led that took notice of, of me guys like Brian Kilray who drafted me for the Ottawa 67s who, who really saw something in me, even though I decided to go the college route. Stan Butler, who coached at North Bay and, and 
Brampton Forever, who was my coach and junior, really had a huge influence on me in, in the sense of learning to uh, learning to deal with uh, sarcastic uh, motivation, if you will. Then there's then going into my pro career. Like if there's no Clint Malarchuk, there's there's no Gavin Morgan. He came to me on a flight to I was getting on a flight to to Alaska uh, to go play in the West Coast Hockey League, and he came up to me and he says, Gavin, he goes, I don't care what happens when you we come back from this trip, you're not gonna be here anymore. I'm sending you somewhere because I'm not gonna let you stay here, and that's how I ended up in Long Beach. Then when I got to into Utah, Bob Boren, who signed me and kept me into an IHL contract and and kept me when other coaches wouldn't even talk to me because I wasn't on an, an NHL contract, had to sit me out, but then found a way to put me in and, and ended up being called up to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Guys like that, Mike Havlin, uh, who, who, who just showed me how to be a pro, in my, how to be a veteran. How to how to value only you know having four goals but always being a part of things, and then I go to to without a doubt teach me to be a man. George Guazdecki, uh, who was my my coach in in college, who who showed me that professionalism is is the route you take regardless. Um, and that's a huge part of the whole Mike McDonald thing too. Uh, what I 1,499 games. He could play 1,700, and I'd have the same respect for Mike Madonna because the absolute professional that he is. And I learned that from in college. So. And that's a perfect answer. I'm glad that we asked those two questions, and I'm glad Brooksy went to the coaching question uh, for that one. Now, Gavin, we're going to be wrapping up our show right now, so I'll say it first and let Brooksy go after me. I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show. A little bit extended time, if you will, but we got into a lot. I'm very, uh, I love what you're doing with uh, the Me versus Me for We, and love getting into the discussion about everything that we, you did when you played, and uh, in particular when you dropped the mitts with Granny, the Colby Armstrong story, definitely fantastic. Uh, and I'm very happy that you took the time to uh, stop by the Game Sports Show here tonight. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Definitely. Brooksy. Yeah, Morgie, you know, we've been friends and teammates and uh, played against each other for a long time. I'm so glad we've been able to stay in touch. And uh, I just I'm so happy with uh, what you're doing now outside of the hockey, but still staying in it. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. So thank you, my friend. Hey, with no problem, brother. As, as I always say, it's it's guys like you, Brooksy, that 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 keep guys like me going and, and it's guys like me that keep guys like you going. So you keep doing you and, and, and staying positive and, and doing the things that, that you want to do and keep uh, me versus me and, and you'll, you'll find it. You'll find it because you know what your wees are. And so do I. Definitely. You know what, Brooksy, you're a well-liked guy, and I'm getting to realize yeah, through each more special edition show that we get to do. And I'll say thank you to you for taking the time, as always, being the co-host here on our special edition upload of the game. And I want to say thank you to all of our listeners, all of our followers, subscribers, our likers, whatever you may be. Make sure you check us out on our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram, as well as our website, thegainsportshow.com, as well as Spotify, Apple, and Podbean podcast forums now getting to our conclusion portion i'm here to remind you to keep your stick on the ice swing your bat catch your touchdowns drain your threes and shoot your shots booyah
You have been listening to the Game Sports Show, powered by GEM. This edition of the game was brought to you by Compass Imaging Group and Demansky Office Interiors. We would also like to thank our other sponsors and broadcasting partners, part of the Game Sports Show family. ESPN 1400, Northern Superior Brewing Company, Sports Center Bar and Grill, Living Sisu, North Shore Sports and Auto, and Thrush Creative Co. Yes, yeah, she's a